0: Oh, hi there. I'm Tyler Shawn Labine from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, and I also played Sock on TV's Reaper. You are watching the Dead TV Podcast. Keep it up. I dare ya. The Dead TV Podcast, podcast dedicated to all the canceled TV shows in the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and sometimes horror comedy genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris.
1: And I'm Mr. Seneca.
0: And tonight we're talking about Reaper, the next two episodes, which is episodes 11 and 12, right? 12 and 13. 12 and 13. And before we get to that, we do have a uh, bit of interesting listener mail here. Ooh. This comes from... Michael, they say they like the show and looking forward to hearing the back catalog of shows because they only came into Reaper and they heard most of War of the Worlds.
1: Oh, excellent. I hope you enjoy the back catalog of the podcast. The older ones are mm, a bit rough. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, uh, our quality has gone up over time. We got new equipment, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, so the sound quality is definitely increased. So now I do all the editing in either Audacity or Reaper audio programs. So I really appreciate any comments. I spend a lot of time on these.
0: We're doing a podcast covering Reaper as you edit it on Reaper. I'm not too familiar with Reaper, but that's uh, pretty funny.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. A friend told me that my taking over of all the editing was doing the devil's work. So adding Reaper to that, as we all know, the devil is in the details.
0: Because I'm sure you've never dressed up like a devil before.
1: Oh, of course, all the time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I have one particular outfit that's all red and it's mini skirts and high heels. It's excellent.
0: I think our listeners would enjoy seeing you in that outfit sometime. Next time you dress up for it, definitely post some pictures. Sure, sure. Sure. <laughs> Hopefully everyone enjoyed the uh, cameo that Mr. Zeneca got for us from uh, the actor who plays Sock.
1: Tyler Sean Levine.
0: Yes. That was fantastic.
1: And hopefully he'll come on our show. Hopefully, hopefully.
0: Yeah. I'm um, still hoping for Ray Wise. I sent that email out. You know, I'm going to be emailing some of these people again. But I definitely want some behind-the-scenes people in as well. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Because those sometimes stories are some of the best, especially with all the special effects that this show does. Indeed. We're going to jump right now to the episode for episode 12, Unseen.
1: Season 1, episode 12, Unseen, originally aired March 20th, 2008. Sam, Sock, and Ben move into a condo together. While Sam is assigned to track down an elusive and unseen soul of a serial killer, the guys meet their new neighbors, Steve and Tony, who ask them over for a home-cooked meal. Meanwhile, Sam has doubts whenever he's around Katie, thinking that she may be a demon as well while Andy also confides in Josie about her own worries about Katie, thinking that she may be homicidal.
0: Yeah, she displays some interesting abilities. qualities. Yeah, but uh, then she vacates the show, so we'll get into it with the opening of the show. Again, just kind of, uh, just a little bit strange, I thought. But Unseen, Sock is living at the uh, the workbench. And uh, I just wanted to point out right from the beginning when I saw this, I'm like, where are the cameras? But apparently, Ted never had a cameras. This is a corporate, like, chain of stores. There's no cameras? Yeah. Is 2008? <laughs> what? I had cameras when I was working as a, uh, sec- not a security guard, loss prevention agent at a uh, Rite Aid.
1: Yeah, there's no way that in today's day and age that you could get away with living at the Home Depot or at Lowe's or any of those other stores. No. You'd totally be caught immediately.
0: Even in the 80s, they still had camera like VHS security cameras in stores like this, you know? They definitely did. And yeah. you tell me there's no sweeping of the store. I, I don't know. It just it, It's a little far-fetched, and I know I'm making a big deal about it, but it just seems a little bit ridiculous. I snore. I have sleep apnea. Maybe Katie uh, needs a sleep apnea machine.
1: <laughs> well, she snores like a demon. So that's one hell of a snore.
0: Um, I'm not a bowling fan. Are you?
1: I like bowling every now and then. I haven't done it very often uh, in recent years.
0: Do you like bowling, or just like playing with balls?
1: Bow. <laughs> uh, the two aren't mutually exclusive. But yeah, I do like bowling. One thing I do like about Sox bowling ball is that it has a skull in it. And that reminds me specifically of the movie Mystery Men and Janine Garofalo's character as the bowler has her father's skull inside the bowling ball. I wonder if it's the exact same prop.
0: Right. You know, and what's funny is that I'm, I'm not going to say I, I don't think Janine Garofalo is like unattractive or attractive, but that movie was the first time I ever was just like Janine Garofalo. All right. <laughs> she's always playing like a yeah, plain I mean, character. Cool. You know what I mean? She's not she's not glamoring it up like she's Katy Perry or or Jennifer Lawrence. You know what I mean? Or Rebecca Romaine. You know what I mean? She's not that kind of actress to do that.
1: No, but she's hot in her own way. She's an intellectually hot type of girl. Sure. <laughs> That's the first <laughs> hey, time I've ever like heard that. Okay.
0: But in that movie, I've always I had a distraction to her because she was like a superhero and I liked her outfit so. <laughs>
1: Yeah. The music when they're playing uh, at the bowling alley is from the subways. The song's called Oh Yeah. Here's a clip.
0: Underworld is terrible, and all the movies are terrible, but there is no denying what Sock says about Kate Beckinsale in this movie. Because Jesus Christ, if my wife looked like that, if I had a wife, yes, I would put her in hot leather, black corset, pants, and jacket and throw her on screen like Len Wein, I think is her husband's name, uh, director's name, like he does in all of those movies that he's involved with his wife for. Uh, because Sock is 100% correct about Underworld. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen all those?
1: I I have seen the Underworld movies. I, I like them. I like them. They're not they're not
0: great. Let's we can admit they're not great movies. <laughs> uh, no, always... they're not
1: great, but they're they're nice eye candy. It's that is all. Beautiful people walking through doors.
0: Right. That is all they are. But I do like the first one more than the other ones. So. Again, Ted thinks someone's shoplifting, and it's the greatest crime ever, but he's going to catch whoever did it. Those cameras get messed up, and he gets pissed about it later on. This is just the Ted moment for the episode. Every episode seems to have a Ted moment, which is very funny, and it's always something really stupid, like the gambling earlier.
1: Yeah, yeah, and in this one, you know, the cameras, he puts in the cameras, and then the cameras get stolen, and his just frustration with the shoplifting is really intense in this episode.
0: Why? Why? Does Sam's parents not want Sam to move out? And you haven't watched ahead, but I think I know.
1: Ah, uh, you know, I have not seen ahead. Uh so I don't know what's happening, but I would say that perhaps um he needed to be under their house rules for a little bit of time or that they have the ability to control his Exposure to whatever quote unquote the truth is, something's being hidden from him, and, and him going away might interrupt that.
0: Mm. And something even more so connected to that after what we learn at the end of the episode, we'll have to wait and see. Huh. Yes. Um, why would a couple of our new characters or temporary kind of, you know, bit part characters uh, be. Living in the same building with him, but we'll find out. But yes, I think this is connected to we'll something to coming that, up yes. in the season finale of the show. Something big happens. Big, game-changing thing happens. So, But uh, I was 19 years old when I first moved out. How old were you?
1: I was 18. I was uh, kicked out of the house at 18.
0: Oh, right. we this is part of the story we covered in The Max, right?
1: Uh, I didn't specifically tell that part, but no. I was I was kicked out of the house at 18. My stepfather said, get out. And so I left. And I was homeless for a little bit and then moved in with some friends and then got a job and I've never gone back home to live.
0: It's true what they say. You can never go home again.
1: That is true. Um, That is true. Okay. I've got to admit I laughed when this happens and I know it's
0: not Okay. But I think everything is funny in context. The late, great George Carlin said this, and I still laughed, even though I'm not one to make jokes like this. When the devil says something to Sam, Sam's retort to him is you're coming out of the closet finally. And the devil's like, oh, a homo joke. Very funny. <laughs>
1: yeah. I couldn't help. I laughed. I'm sorry. I
0: know it's not okay, but I still laughed. <laughs> it,
1: it, is, it is funny. Yeah, you you're funny. poking fun at the devil.
0: Right, <laughs> and the devil calls him out on a homo joke, really, Sam. I thought you're better than this.
1: It's like you yeah. seriously, Lucifer L- B-
0: el diablo calling Sam out for his inappropriate humor you you <laughs> responsible for most of the evil in the world
1: <laughs> yeah, and and the devil goes always, so you know that <laughs> doesn't really phase it.
0: Oh my God, by the way, did you notice that the devil only meets with Sam? of course. He doesn't meet with Sam when he's with Sock and Ben. Now, Sock and Ben will leave the room, and he'll get teleported to whatever catastrophe the devil has set up for him for the MacGuffin of the show. But he doesn't meet with Sam when he's with Sock. And, but Now he's met Andy, obviously. But I don't remember Sock and Ben having interacted with Ray yet.
1: I don't think so. Oh, you know, usually Sam gets pulled out of the situation and talks to the devil on his own terms.
0: The Invisible Man, H.G. Wells. We've covered all that.
1: We did. Yeah, we don't need to get into much more about
0: that. Yeah, but he's basically, I love the line, makes the Unabomber look like a social butterfly. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) For anyone who doesn't know who the Unabomber was, he was a guy who lived in the woods by himself, away from everybody, and then he sent bombs out to people, right? That's pretty much the Unabomber in a nutshell.
1: Yes, definitely he sent out the bombs, and one of the more particular things about the Unabomber is that his bombs were all handmade, and not handmade as in just, you know, putting together a pipe bomb, but handmade as in the thing were also made out of wood. Mm. So it was very handcrafted each piece, and he attacked universities. And his,
0: uh, I think, as was far as in, I can remember, I think it was turned in by his brother.
1: I believe so.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, because yep.
1: the manifesto that he wrote was very particular on the language that he used, and his uh, brother did turn him in.
0: That's what you get. (laughs) This guy stunts galore. Paycheck, X-Men, I robot, the Hulk, uh, the Babysitter's Club. (laughs) I didn't realize that needed a stunt coordinator. Maybe this is like the Riverdale Babysitter's Club. The Magicians, the Lego movie, which is kind of funny when you think about the Lego movie's just animated, so what did they need a stunt coordinator for? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Psych, and of course Arrow, as we mentioned before. The girls go to visit the Guys, Sock that. it's so convinced that it used to be a meth lab. <laughs> <Yum>.
1: <laughs> That's
0: one of the nicest meth looking lab meth lab ever. Ago. Yeah. By the way, that apartment's pretty nice. Meth labs, usually in TV shows, are kind of like uh, abandoned warehouses.
1: As they should be, because they can explode at any time. But the rent is $1,200 a month, which, even for that quality of a building, and it used to be a meth lab, they're still getting a hell of a deal.
0: Absolutely. But Sock
1: uh... forged the signatures on the lease. Sock forged the signatures. So he is, in my my mind, he is a, a particular villain in this particular scenario because you don't sign your friend's names on a lease without even telling them that they're going to move in with you. Like, that is way over the line. I would never tolerate a friend doing that to me.
0: Yeah, that's not cool, but it's played for comedy just for the sake of it. Just like the uh, the Magic Bullet. I don't own a Magic Bullet, but it's uh, something I, I guess I would have if uh, someone gave one to me as a gift would be kind of cool. I love the fact that ben, uh, Sock has been saving up for a Magic Bullet for years.
1: <laughs> they aren't that expensive.
0: Maybe they were back in 2008. Who knows? I remember that technology was still kind of new then.
1: It's just a blender.
0: <laughs> I know, but it's a different kind of blender. It's like a ninja blender. In fact, it's more like a ninja blender because what comes out of the magic bullet? It's like a glaive from the movie Crawl. Do you remember Crawl, the sci-fi movie?
1: Kind of. <laughs> I remember what you're talking about, though. The right. Kind of boomerangish type of thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and now someone's like, "Oh, but it was Xena." No, that was a disc. Crawl was the was the boomerang flying, you know, death metal thing. That is exactly what it reminds me of. But not a, Now, you could also say a ninja throwing star, but again, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, it's the glaive from Crawl." Yeah. <laughs> Would you want to talk about obscure fantasy movies of the 80s? <laughs> yeah.
1: So the park that the Invisible Man is actually in, uh, our villain, Herbert Scrim, that is Seattle's Discovery Park. It's the largest park in Seattle. And it is quite woodsy. You know, it's 534 acres. So if this was the park that Herbert lived in and now he's just pissed off that people are jogging through his little territory, you know, that is a quite a large territory. 534 acres is a lot.
0: This is the cheapest, lamest villain of the show. The Invisible Man. We don't have to do anything other than like post-edit some shimming trees.
1: Lame. (laughs) It's the whole predator effect of invisibility. Yeah. Right.
0: It it looks like they were on budget and this is what they had to come up with. Because they don't don't always shoot the episodes in order, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, Ben climbs a tree and feels like Spider Man. We don't need to explain who Spider Man is, but it's very funny because Ben would go on to play Wild Dog on Arrow. Uh,
1: (laughs) Ben gets hurt falling down from those trees. Ouch. He climbs up the tree. He falls down and hits every branch on the way down, thank goodness, because that broke his fall. But, man, that could kill you.
0: Uh-huh. Well, a little crazy with the fall. The uh, the dogs chase away the soul, which is kind of funny. Uh, the dog walker is played by an actress I have never heard of before, Ellie Magine Tailfeathers. She has been in a lot of things. Still working today. But uh, it's just stuff I've never heard of outside of uh, Reaper. And then we get Supergirl, <laughs> Wonder Woman references. Who would you bang, Supergirl, Wonder Woman? And Sock admits he's into bondage. <laughs> Who else of is into bondage, is. Mrs. Zeneca?
1: Oh, I'm into bondage, uh, like giving bondage.
0: That's all we needed. <laughs>
1: Just in case this is someone's first
0: episode, they haven't listened to the last people we made jokes about. But uh, yeah, no, Wonder Woman's into bondage. It's in her DNA since the day she was created by her her daddy and her two in mommies. The comic book yes but Daddy and her two mommies are all very much into bondage. (laughs) It's just funny that Sock makes the comparison about that and then admits that he's into bondage. Yeah. When they get back to the apartment, they're greeted by two new supporting cast members who are sketch comedy people that I don't know that much, but you're pretty familiar with uh, these two.
1: Yes! Their new neighbors, Steve and Tony, are played by Ian Michael Black and Ken Marino, who, as if you're a sketch comedy Fan like I am, you'd recognize them from the state. Michael Ian Black has also been on Wet Hot American Summer, Stella, Run Fat Boy Run, Oh Yeah, Reno 911. yeah Ken Marino has also been on Reno 911. They do a lot of things together. The, that close partnership from the state. He's been on Fresh Off the Boat, But They're Not Man.
0: But they're not partners in real life.
1: No, they're not partners in real life.
0: Okay, they're are, are either one of them. Partners. Are they either are either one of them gay in real life?
1: I do not believe so.
0: Okay, I heard Michael Ian Black was, but maybe I'm wrong because I've seen him in stuff where he's played a gay man before, and this is the first time. Again, I'm not overly familiar with their body of work, but usually you're not just typecast to play a gay man it's because you are gay and you want to represent your people. And uh, by the way, these people, these guys, are here for a good six episodes too.
1: Excellent, I love seeing them. One thing that I do like watching Ken Marino in is a the bachelor style show which is a satire show called Burning Love. There are 3 seasons of it. It is absolutely fantastic. It's a reality show taken to its extremes and it is just chef's kiss. Mwah.
0: Um <laughs> if you haven't watched wa-
1: it as background sometimes
0: William and, Black, by the way, uh, if you ever watch VH1's I Love the 80s, I Love the 90s, you know, those, you know the, the, the miniseries they used to do to recap the history yeah. of pop culture, he was on a lot of those.
1: He's such a funny guy. Indeed. Steve and Tony are just excellent characters. You know, they are the nicest fellows, nicest guys. You know, they, they invite them in, they fix the problems with the three-monitor setup that they have going on in their apartment. Steve is a security, like home security agent. So therefore, he sets up these, you know, home security camera dealies, which gives them the idea to steal the cameras from the workbench and install them in the woods to, you know, motion capture this invisible man.
0: That is funny. They steal the cameras that Ted was using to prevent people from stealing. That's my favorite part. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's it's really funny. He's talking about having to put cameras on the cameras. too much believe that this episode was perhaps one that they're running for a valentine's day even though it was put out in march because the uh andy is stocking valentine's day decorations in the workbench
0: yeah um also i gotta point something out about the workbench um what kind of store is this that sells paintball gear as well as hardware
1: I think they're going for a Home Depot, but Home Depot of everything. Okay.
0: Because <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I get TVs, okay. But maybe this is more like a like a BJ's or a Sam's Club, I think, with a lot of hardware to it. Or maybe it's like, um, what's the place that people go to that build all their furniture? Ikea? Ikea, but not. This, they don't seem to ever show off furniture other than the stuff the guys lounge around in. Yeah, I mean, it's its own store. It's just funny that every five minutes, every episode has got something that you're like, okay, this is less and less like a Home Depot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I really like the story. I like the idea that they have a resource that they could go to that is unlimited and can tap all their needs. They need rubber suits? Sure. They need uh, fire extinguishers? Sure. They need paintball guns? Sure. This place has everything.
0: The guys make great food, and the entire time I was starving watching this episode. There's some interesting little tropes that they want to throw in here, but uh, I do love the whole, like, uh, 89 Glenderfitchin spode bottle, and, like, the, uh, just, like, you know, like, socks, like, love for it. And this stuff, by the way, apparently is, like, $300 a bottle. Wow. Yeah. Expensive frickin' alcohol, let me tell you.
1: Yeah, it, that is not my typical flavor of alcohol, so, uh... I will just trust Sock's approval on that
0: um they're excellent cooks, too, but yeah, every time all the food just oh, made me so hungry, didn't you
1: <laughs> yeah, the lobster mac and cheese did sound absolutely delicious
0: absolutely and i
1: make I make a good lobster mac and cheese, but that sounded amazing
0: so we also have our like fifth pop culture reference for the episode Lord of the Rings Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of these shows at this time period were trying to fill that void left over from Buffy the Vampire Slayer ending and Angel had just ended like a couple years prior and Supernatural was very popular with its pop culture references. You know what I mean? Because prior to like Buffy, Angel, Supernatural, Reaper, there weren't a lot of shows that were making references like Wonder Woman, Supergirl, who are you going to bang? You know, unless you were Kevin Smith. But again, Kevin Smith is an executive producer on the show and he directed the first episode. That makes a lot of sense that they would reference, you know, like, you know, oh, uh, do you think a Stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet seat in the Death Star? No, they outside contracted the plumbing in the Death Star. Things like that definitely show you how much the show is Kevin Smith oriented. You know, the the Gandalf yeah, reference in yeah. the, the Wonderworld, Underworld, Underworld Underworld and Wonder Woman, Supergirl debate of who would you bang? Because comic book fans have made that before. And for uh-huh. guys, too, by the way, they probably done it with guy characters and females, you know, um, you know, and then, you know, they, they, they show it every time. And I really appreciate that with the show like Reaper. I'm not saying every show needs to do that. I don't watch um, the the good doctor, but you know, they drop that probably a reference in like that once in a while, but a show like Reaper is what speaks to me because it's who I am. You know what I mean? I drop pop culture references all the time. And either I get like half my workforce knows what I'm talking about. and The other half is just like, what? <laughs> By the way, the guys are playing the Wii again, and I think this time they're playing Red Steel. That was one of the first games to come out for the Wii. Let me tell you, it gives you carpal tunnel like you would not believe. It sounds like it's Red oh. Steel they're playing, but on the TV, I kept freeze-framing it, but I couldn't tell. But it sounds like it's Red Steel. You're a white guy in the dating some Yakuza daughter, and you got to go defend her, and you use one remote for the gun, one remote for the sword. It was a lot of fun, but let me tell you, my wrists were killing me. <laughs> Aw. Uh, the devil. <laughs> the devil thinks Sam can <laughs> cannot satisfy Katie. <laughs> Katie. Katie.
1: <laughs> I, I think the accusation is far more entertaining.
0: Yes, but then he confronts him. Finally, are you Katie's dad? I don't want any bullshit answers. I want the truth.
1: And he says no.
0: I believe that to be true. But beyond
1: all evidence, beyond all evidence, she seems to have some sort of demonic influence.
0: Or she's possibly an angel. I don't remember, so I'm not spoiling anything.
1: The devil gives Sam a pair of glasses to show someone's true essence. Right. And warns Sam not to look at him with those glasses on. Unless he wants to change his pants. (laughs) In this episode, we also get a mention of the ye old MySpace, because Ben says that he's putting Steve and Tony on his top eight spaces. What a flashback that was.
0: Oh boy, MySpace, which does still exist in one form or another, but not the way that we use Facebook these days.
1: Yeah, yeah. Takes me back. <laughs> the,
0: the guy's apartment has a dartboard with Ted's picture on it.
1: I noticed that. That's hilarious.
0: Uh, Sam decides to go over and pay his respects to the, the the gay couple and they come to find out that the Sanders he saw in their episode earlier are very much like Hellboy uses in Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy movies. Hellboy sands down his horns to make him look more human because his horns are like incredibly devil-like with long elongated horns like the ones Loki has on his helmet. Yeah. And uh, guess what the gay couple does, folks? They are, in fact, a gay demon couple, which sets up a lot of jokes coming up in the next episode.
1: (laughs) And just a lovely couple at that. you know. Even though they're demons, they just act very nice. Yes. Also featured in this episode is You Don't Stand a Chance by Robbers on High Street, Beat a Fick Visions by The Breaks, and I Don't Know a Thing by Lucy Schwartz. Here's a clip. Funny faces line up quick to catch a glimpse of a world that's drenched in darkness from a solar eclipse. The only thing that I know, only thing I know is I don't know a thing. The sky is blue. That's all the notes i have on this episode
0: that's all the notes i have too on this episode and we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with another exciting episode of the dead tv podcast
1: i was a cop when my wife was raped i caught the guy who did it and i killed him two months later i died i went to hell <laughs> 113 of the most vile creatures escaped
0: They think they'll beat the devil. Nobody beats me. So how am I supposed to send them back? The eyes, windows to the soul. Destroy the eyes and the damned get a one-way ticket back home to hell. But it's not hell
1: you should be scared of. It's losing your second chance of life on Earth. Time to give the devil his due. It's Brimstone! Episode 4, Repentance. Originally aired November 13th, 1998. Hi, I'm Ezekiel Stone. My next case made me question a lot about my life, or death, or unlife, or whatever this is. But that's not how the day began, which started so mundane. I woke up with a craving for a Reggie bar. It was milk chocolate with peanut butter and roasted peanuts. Apparently, something long discontinued. It was a candy bar named after Reggie Jackson. This continued in 1981. I went out looking for one. Then I went to get my favorite coat fixed. Even though I wake up with everything I had on me when I died, including $36.27 in my pockets, my coat doesn't automatically repair. Could only guess that the devil liked to watch me wear the battle scars of my bounty hunting every day. The bullet holes, stab wounds, and all. At the hotel, there was a new girl behind the counter. One that I would come to rely on during my time there. Maxine, or Max for short. She was a kooky lady, but she knew her way around technology. Which is something I simply just didn't understand. I had no idea what the internet was, or even what a mouse did. Fifteen years dead, and the computers went from room-sized machines at universities, to information boxes on everyone's desk. Max was a writer, self-published on the internet. Looking back, Max was closer to the truth than she knew, insisting that God sends the cop, and that it was a better story than the one I was living. She didn't know a thing about me, but she had real insight, in her own way. The devil surprises me in the guise of a bum when I tried to give him my daily 27 cents. He grabs me with a burning palm and says, No good deed goes unpunished. Turns out that was not so much of a turn of a phrase as more like the theme of my next mission. The devil started telling me of a cannibal soul, but in hindsight, I think he deliberately gave me false information, since I said that being good wasn't supposed to be easy. However, I followed the only leads I had, a crime scene and an eyewitness. Harry wore a coat covered in duct tape and obviously drank a heavy diet of whiskey. He told me that he saw a man in a trench coat jump off the bridge 80 feet and disappeared. Cops thought he was hallucinating, but the corpse had its eyes cut out. Certainly sounded like something a hell or soul would do. My first tangible clue was a shiny antique button, obviously military. So I went to the local military memorabilia shop jimmy g's world of war run by a real expert jimmy g thing was though the entire time i felt like i already knew him deja vu but in my gut something felt wrong and right all at the same time his face was so familiar it's like it felt like he should be talking about muscle cars instead of world war ii nazis His expertise and obsession brought him to the conclusion that I was a Nazi hunter. Which, I mean, he wasn't wrong. Without prompting, he trusted me entirely to share his ten-year collection of Nazi evidence to track down the criminals. On a side note, I asked if he could track down a Reggie bar for me. He came through a little later, supplying a box of them. I didn't realize it fully at the time, but this one meeting led me to question the reality that I thought was true. I knew this man, maybe under a different name and a different time, but I knew him. This chance meeting was the first string that unraveled the story of my life. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Jimmy G helped me to find my hellish perp. A Dutch Nazi, a member of the "We of der Lingen, the Dutch SS, Martin Benedict otherwise known as the Angel of Mercy, who turned over 18 Jews to the camps under promises of visas and freedom. He chickened out and turned them in, and for that he suffered in hell. At the Grace Street Homeless Shelter, the home of all the victims, the volunteer Toby encouraged me to get to the bottom of the murders. I also heard of what could only be described as an urban legend, the Angel of Mercy, But all the stories were about acts of superhuman heroicism, saving people in the homeless community. I caught Toby shooting up. I didn't want to ruin his job at the shelter. I just needed info on the whereabouts of the Angel of Mercy, which he traded for my silence. I followed the haunting sounds of a German song sung by a famous actress, Marlene Dietrich. I found the Dutch SS officer eating a pear and reading German poetry. When I brought up the homeless corpses, he ran and insisted his innocence, that he hasn't killed anyone, and was repentant. We tumbled out the 4th story window, and I got caught up in quite a bit of barbed wire. Martin Benedict had the chance to shoot my eyes, and he didn't. Father Horn shared his thoughts on repentance. If the soul does good works... Do good works overshadow past deeds? Another victim, but this time it led me to the real killer. I kicked myself when I finally realized it. There was a human killer in the mix, and Toby was him. He was selling the eyes to an organ bank to support his habit. Martin helped me save Harry from being Toby's next victim. In gratitude, I wanted to let him go, to escape my purpose, but to my surprise, he refused. He wanted to willingly take his punishment. He said that he wanted to earn his own forgiveness, saying that no matter what he did, it was never enough. He pleaded for me to send him back, despite the fact that the homeless needed an angel to watch over them. And when I shot him in the eyes, I half expected him to turn into an angel in white. But I sent him back to find salvation in hell. Harry witnessed the whole thing, and it shook him to the core. He never touched another drop of alcohol. I did a little investigating and found his estranged family and passed him their info because everyone deserves a second chance. The devil caught up to me afterwards. It felt so good to tell him to go to hell while I shoot on a good old Reggie bar. Perfect end to the day. I really loved this episode. The opening scene has Detective Stone going into a dry cleaner, Taylor's, to repair his coat, but there's a pantsless guy reading the financial papers. The hilarious scene is that Ezekiel plays it off like it's normal, and he asks about a stock, Brookshire Hathaway A. The guy quotes him at $60,000. You know what? That stock is worth now? Over $504,000. I tried to track down what he bought it for, but my charts could only go so far as June 1st, 1990. Even then, it was worth $7,100. He probably got it for a lot cheaper. The guy to advise him to sell it, that was actually, in hindsight, bad financial advice. I hope Detective Stone's wife kept that stock. Our damned soul for this episode, Martin Benedict, the Angel of Mercy, is played by Norbert Wesser. He was born in Germany, but came to the U.S. and began his theater career. In the 1970s, he was in The Midnight Express as Eric and an episode of Barnaby Jones as Hans Müller. He's also been on Knight Rider, Three Amigos, The Rocketeer, and Hocus Pocus as Thackeray's father. You can also see him in Schindler's List as Albert Hujar, who in real life was an SS officer who committed and directed executions at a concentration camp. So this role in Brimstone just five years after Schindler's List was released, has extra meaning. The repentance of his Angel of Mercy character seemed authentic and like a true measure of the depth of those war crimes and what they truly mean to the German people. Excellent actor. In recent years, you can see him playing Peter Schuller in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. In this episode, we have an actor that was in both Reaper and Brimstone, Curtis Armstrong best known as Booger or Snot from Revenge of the Nerds and American Dad, respectively. I pose him here as a connective link between the two shows, and I imagine him as the exact same person. Jimmy G. in 1998 was a military memorabilia expert in Los Angeles. Maybe something happened, something serious scared him, and he moved to Seattle and changed his name to Russ, got completely out of military gear and got into muscle cars and vintage electronics. And maybe the loss of his former life pushed him into doing lots of drugs, desperate for friends. Now, you're asking, how could younger Sam and older Ezekiel know him? Well, in my ever-evolving headcanon, it's because when Sam eventually gets out of his deal with the devil, his second chance isn't in his current timeline. He was transported back in time and his mind erased, implanted with memories of an abusive father, so that he would continue to be the perfect bounty hunter for the devil. I'll go into this concept more as I continue the analyses. I don't want to go full conspiracy just yet. Harry the Bum was played by David Proval, who usually plays a lot of cops, gangsters, and Italians. You'd recognize him from The Sopranos as Richie April, or from Everybody Loves Raymond as Marco. He was in Mean Streets, directed by Martin Scorsese for his first role in 1973. Another first-rate actor, who was also in another show we reviewed, Friday the 13th The Series. He was in two episodes, 13 O'Clock and Badge of Honor. Our actual killer for this episode, Toby Cole, was played by Geoffrey Blake, who played the abusive boyfriend of Jenny in Forrest Gump. He's been on a lot of TV shows in recent years, including The New Charmed, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Grimm, and The Man in the High Castle. Plus, he's a small part actor on a show that we're going to review in the near future, Alien Nation. He was on two episodes of that as different characters. And last, but certainly not least, introducing Maxine, or Max, our new comic relief character played by Lori Petty, best known for being the Tank Girl. Love her so, so much. She was also on A League of Their Own as Kit Keller, the Pitcher, and on Orange is the New Black as Lolly Whitehill. Even her voice is so recognizable. She adds so much to Brimstone's combination of grit and side-eye humor. I loved this episode. It had so many great actors and so much heart. It pulls you in ways that made me laugh out loud and then brought me to a point where I thought that maybe redemption could be possible. Highly recommend this episode. That song you've been hearing in the background is featured prominently in the episode, as the record The Damned Soul Plays and That the Devil Sings. It's called Falling in Love Again, composed by Frederick Hollander and sung most famously in the 1930 film Der Blue Engel, The Blue Angel, sung by the beautiful and talented Marlene Dietrich. You might not recognize her name, but she was one of the highest-paid actresses of the 1930s, known for her glamour and exotic looks. She was also a German World War II humanitarian, living in the U.S. and supporting and housing French and German exiles. I'm a big fan of the silent film era, and Marlene Dietrich's career spanned silent films, stage shows, and talkies. She was so enigmatic on camera, so hypnotic. You can see her on Alfred Hitchcock's Stage Fright and Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. In 1999, the American Film Institute named her the ninth greatest female screen legend of the classic Hollywood cinema era. The song Falling in Love Again has been beloved and covered by a number of artists, including the lovely and talented Billie Holiday. This song became Marlene Dietrich's anthem, both in German and in English. Such a good song.
0: Good
1: night.
0: And Rebecca, you might be able to see Mr. Zeneca be very devilish to somebody coming up in a short film, which is currently getting edited... Stay tuned. Ooh, finally. Yes, finally. You will be able to view this, I think, at film festivals. Maybe we're not quite sure where it's going to start streaming yet, but definitely it's going to be submitted to film festivals. It's a comedy that was shot during COVID. It's got It's Kevin Smith's style to it, very much like clerks at a radio station. So another reason I'm bringing it up, besides the fact that both hosts are in it. But um, our show, obviously, Reaper, you know, is Kevin Smith-oriented, and... Kevin Smith's a big influence in my life, in my writing, and a lot of things that I I do. And we, of course, we uh, if you if you if you're listening, new listener and all listeners, didn't we cover some Kevin Smith, Mr. Seneca?
1: Yes, we covered the animated series of Clerks.
0: Yep, pretty much the only thing of Kevin Smith we could probably cover on this podcast because he's never done anything else that's gone beyond that. Besides, comic book man, but we're not covering comic book man. There's no reason to cover a reality TV show on a podcast. There are podcasts that do that. We're not going to. It's also seven seasons long, and what what are we – every episode would be like three hours long because of all the pop culture in every single episode. <laughs> uh,
1: no, we do have an upper limit as to the types of shows that we're able to do on this podcast.
0: Correct. We will never, ever cover – we will never, ever – I'm putting it down right now. We will never, ever, 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 ever cover a reality TV show. I don't care what genre it's in. We're never going to do it. I know the Elvira had one. I know there was a Scream Queens one. I just... No. <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> so. Um, I agree with you. Yeah. Somebody asked me that in person once. And I was like, why? And they mentioned the Elvira one. And I'm like, I think that was one and done, though. There was not like a... There wasn't a plan to do more than one season. That was to replace Elvira. But the actress they hired to do that was terrible... Or I'd heard other stories, and Elvira was just like, Cassandra was just like, I'm just going to do it till I'm dead. So, mm. yeah. But on to Acid Queen, speaking of another queen, here on the Dead Who Podcast, which is has the plot synopsis for us.
1: Acid Queen, Season 1, Episode 13, originally aired March 27th, 2008. Sam tells Sock and Ben they can't be friends with Steve or Tony anymore which leaves Sock depressed because he has become so used to having Steve and Tony take care of him. The escaped soul is a woman who, threatened by beautiful girls, has come back to kill all the women she feels are more beautiful than she is, with acid. Sam panics when he finds out that the soul's next victim is Andy and races to save her.
0: Sam is still trying to reach Katie, who pretty much broke up with them. They're on like a Rachel and Ross-style break. And the guys are also dealing with the ramifications of finding out that their next-door neighbors are demons.
1: Yeah, they're demons. And whenever they bring up the idea that they're living next door to demons, the first thought that comes to mind is them being eaten by them. And they're good cooks, so I don't think they would have the desire to eat humans, but they are afraid of that possibility.
0: The guys also give Sam the worst advice throughout the entire episode about women, and Andy, and Katie, and Jesus Christ. You'll wonder why these two are constantly single. <laughs> Obviously, Katie's not returning Sam's phone call, so it's hard to determine where the relationship is. And Andy says to Sam that she likes him, and that her jealousy of Katie was because she realizes her feelings for Sam.
1: You know... I watched this, and I was just like, man, Sam, nut up or shut up. Because this, going back and forth with Andy, she admits her feelings, and then Sam doesn't jump on that. Like, I've had feelings for you my entire time that I've known you. Yeah, nut up or shut up, man.
0: And, like, Sam is teased by Ben, you know, in previous episodes and in this one.
1: Oh, I'm Sam. I have two beautiful women
0: who just want me. uh. Oh. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: The hang-ups in my life are terrible, you know. Yeah, they're they're pretty terrible. You work for the goddamn devil. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's a very important job. It takes up all his time.
0: Right. Um Gets
1: interrupted all the time by the devil.
0: By the way, it's Ben's birthday and uh, they forgot.
1: <laughs> yes, it's Ben's birthday. Or it was. And, and Steve and Tony took him to a gay bar.
0: His reaction, like, oh, that makes so much more sense now.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: I have never been to a. No, that's old... not true. I've been to a gay bar, but it was. Uh, uh, I was wingmanning a friend of mine. She So it was gay lesbian night. And I wingmanned a friend of mine. She wanted to ask out somebody, and she asked me to come with her. Oh. I was, that was like, lovely. I was for like, you how should I dress? She's like, the way she put it was very funny. She said, the least gay possible. <laughs>
1: Aww. So people
0: will know. Like I thought, I thought you people had gay and She's just like you people. Listen. So I wingmaned him, chatted up some people. Nobody hit on me. So okay. But that's very funny. They took him to a gay bar.
1: The vessel for this episode is bubbles.
0: A bubble blower, little bottle that you'd get like a child to blow bubbles.
1: Why bubbles?
0: Why happen? I don't to... know. Why half the vessels? The toaster, really? I mean, at least the the magic bullet made sense. By the way, we didn't see Gladys in the last episode.
1: No, no. We didn't do the whole DMV drop-off.
0: No. Weird, huh? But she's not in every episode. We know that based on IMDB's numbers, so... Sock says Ben is like a 10-year-old girl with his feelings. (laughs) Jesus Christ.
1: What's the term for that? Is that sexist? Is that... no... it, it toxic masculinity, perhaps? Toxic,
0: yeah, something like that. It's not sexist because Ben's a guy, but uh, yeah, just like Jesus Christ, you're too much. I love you, but wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I honestly think that the character does these little bits of rudeness because he has some sort of inner conflict with his own sexuality.
0: And his, you know, role. he
1: alludes to like his feminine side, exploring his feminine side, but. When confronted with the gay couple, his immediate response is, "I'm not gay. If I'm this, in a girl."
0: If this show came out today, they would totally make sock a closet homosexual, and he would come out on the show. Yeah, totally. They, they or would trans go clo- or tr- closet. Or trans. Um, maybe that'd be interesting. I don't see CW kind of crossing over to that too much. They did it on Supergirl, but I don't. I don't know. Trans might be the bigger leap. Gay might be the softer leap. You know what I mean?
1: True, but I think for Sock's character, I think trans might actually make sense.
0: I think the you know, or devil, at least
1: gender fluid.
0: I think the devil would be trans, and it would flip back and forth between men and women every five minutes just to entice the guys. Eh. by trans, I mean magical trans, not real life trans. Okay. Sam gets taken to a sexy photo shoot with models, and it's basically like Sock's dream of. Women everywhere who are like hot, naked. Now again, this completely goes away from like him possibly being gay. He could be bisexual too, though. So you know, his latent homosexuality could also be the fact that he's bisexual because he does seem to have a very much hard on for the ladies. Hence his daydream about Gladys. True. Yes. Could so, be. and I don't think a gay man would do that, right? The gay man would not be fantasizing about making out with the 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 older cougar demon at at the DMV.
1: Sexuality is a spectrum. You know, I have noticed that gay men do like boobs, even if it's just aesthetically. So sock could be any shade of, you know, between gay and straight or pansexual or anything in that spectrum. But he is adamantly trying to put forth the idea that I'm a, I'm a heterosexual, which then that therefore indicates that he's not entirely 100% heterosexual yes
0: gotcha. there's, there's
1: something else in there that he's not admitting to himself
0: gotcha the girl is burned by an acid uh so this person this the escape soul can spew acid this is a very super villain kind of thing nothing springs to mind i'm like trying to focus on a comic book character i'm thinking of who spews acid but i can't yeah uh, it's, it's killing me um, does Toad
1: does toad spit acid
0: no, he spits like a a hard adhesive or something like that. You know, because he throws it at Gene's uh. mouth in the first X-Men movie, but it hardens up immediately. So, But there are characters that do do the acid spewing, or they have like an acid touch to them. There's a character from the Hack Slash comic book that is a supermodel that's got like an acid touch, but she can
1: control it. At the fashion shoot, the song that's playing is Tight Fit by New Young Pony Club. Here's a clip. You know the, that photo shoot with all the ladies in white and the 1800s hairstyles kind of punked up? I've been in shoots like that. They're very fun.
0: Once again, Sock with his uh, great, you know, dialogue. The soul is a hot, dead chick. And uh, Sock finds the even dead she's hot.
1: <laughs> now, our villain for this episode is, is Nicole Manders, a.k.a. Nikki. And she is the hottest thing on two legs. At least, that's what she wants to be. Anyone else gets cut down in her wake.
0: Mm. Erica Carrera has been in things. She was uh, Trini's mom in Power Rangers. That shows how old she is now that she's she's an actress playing the mom to a teenager character. Power Rangers. She was in uh, Blade Trinity. She was Goth Vixen Wannabe, which I think this is the woman that, shows Dracula, the Dracula dildo, and then he rips her throat open. Uh, Yeah, I think that is the same one character, because there's only one goth chick in that movie. But I love that scene! I love that scene! Because he, like, grabs her and holds her down, just biting into her neck and putting his hands on her. It's very, like, physically... (laughs) <laughs> like, sexy. Um, all consensual people, they're actors, it's, it's you know, whatever, I, I understand, it's, it's but it's a vampire doing a vampire thing, I'm totally fine with it.
1: She also starred in Battlestar Galactica as Maya.
0: And she's on Nancy Drew right now, which I'm not watching, I, I, I will wait till it's on the Netflix at some point, so.
1: She is also in Supernatural as Duma, or The Shadow, or Robin.
0: Sam continues trying to meet Katie. She's not returning his calls, but then uh, the guys show up at the workbench wondering why is Sam dodging them, and you get some back and forth about them being because they're homosexual, and he's like, no, it has nothing to do with that. And then it's because you're demon. They're like, ugh, the homo thing we could get. We get the the homophobia we could understand. I don't like it, but I understand it. But the demon thing, Sam, really...
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm a minority you know, in a minority in a minority world. That's a great line from uh, Chasing Amy where the black guy, who's the gay black guy, uh, says that to Ben Affleck about like how he has to represent himself and not all the gays are in one giant club together just to uh, support each other.
1: Yeah, the the quote is, it's not what you did, it's what you are. <laughs> and that was completely <laughs> offensive to the demons. Yes.
0: <laughs> Because they're fallen angels from from heaven.
1: Yeah. yeah, It should be offensive to anyone being spoken to like that.
0: No, they're demons.
1: They have probably pulled some
0: bad crap, and we're going to find out in the next four episodes that they're in the bad stuff they've probably done. So they deserve the ridicule. Not because they're gay. That's incorrect. But because they're demons. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally for if you're homosexual. I don't give a crap. I'm not. And you respect me, I respect you, and it's all good. But demons, I draw the line.
1: Well, Steve saves Sam from being covered with acid, shrugs it off, and, you know, you saved me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I did.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, what do you think of his demon form?
1: I like it. It's, a, it's exactly what I imagined the demons to look like. A little bit. A little Geiger in there.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um, Ray Dong Chong in uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie?
1: I've seen it, but I'm, I'm not pulling up the image in my head.
0: At the end of the, the last segment of the entire block of stories being told, because it's an anthology film, she's like a gargoyle demon thing. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of that. The devil comes to work wearing a wig, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> to See? I don't think Ray Wise has ever had long hair before. He's always kept it kind of short, normally
1: yeah yeah but he's wearing this mannequin 's long brunette wig and saying how brunettes have more fun
0: There's a guy at work always telling me to comb my hair because I've always got like my hair sticking up or whatever, and I'd always say grow some hair and I will and. <laughs> I threatened to bring in my uh, <laughs> I threatened to bring in my Alice Cooper wig from my Halloween costume and let him wear it <laughs> if he wants some hair to impress his wife. Aww. Yeah, it's uh, there's some real banter back and there, forth there. <laughs> and of course, there's always that one guy at work who's just like, I don't think you should make fun of him because he's bald. Maybe that's not something like he's really proud of. And I'm just like, you really don't listen to the conversations we're having about this, do you? Second of all, butt out.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Again, his thing is comb your hair. My thing is grow some hair and we move on.
1: So the mannequin gives Sam an idea to set up a stakeout <laughs> yeah. at the Seattle-style fashion magazine after hours. Yep. If if Nikki is hunting for beautiful women and Angela is her target and she writes her articles after hours, they will be there. And so they, they do the stakeout and they really puppet that mannequin pretty well.
0: Do you think it's funny that the Acid Queen follows Sam home, and then later on, uh, she's stalking him at the bar while he's with Andy. And Andy looks fetching, by the way. So, we have not seen Andy outside of the workbench uniform, jeans, and a shirt, casual wear shirt, at all. And now she's in a black sequin dress, looking very beautiful. And the Acid Queen gets very jealous.
1: Yeah, and you can tell she starts to feel that jealousy when that acid starts to drip onto the floor.
0: Mmm, gross. <laughs> It's very gross.
1: <laughs> Sexy Beast by Sean Lee's Ping Pong Orchestra is the song that plays when they're going to the VIP area looking for the soul. Here's a clip. <laughs> Tony is the one that gets them into the top 20 beautiful women in Seattle party gives them all tickets to go because he is a PR person,
0: which makes sense. I think that's a trope of some kind that most PR people are gay, right? Like they cast a lot of that in movies and TV, like fashion designing people.
1: I don't know. Definitely the fashion designers, but I haven't heard of the PR people, but I've seen it here It makes there. sense for like, the, his character.
0: Like are agents, you know what I mean, publicists. They seem to have, like, a yeah. gay, feminine kind of feel to them once in a while. You know what I mean?
1: Okay. So Sokka's is being absolutely ridiculous at hitting on the other beautiful women. Of like, course. he starts doing this poem reading bit with uh, the woman named Angela. He's doing it well. He's being okay, kind of charming. And then he goes into, you're going to be my baby mama. It's like, come on, man. You really think that would work? Like, It, it made me want to slap him.
0: Yeah, he's a little bit ridiculous in these two episodes. Uh, they're definitely pushing it up a lot. Oozes of charm as well as just oozing in general. Um, <laughs> yes, ooze. Yes, ooze. ooze. And speaking of ooze, unfortunately Annie gets some oozed. She gets injured from the uh, acid queen.
1: Not directly injured from the acid itself, but through the auto accident that the entire crew gets into trying to escape the acid queen herself. And she's seriously hurt.
0: Yeah, she'll be fine (laughs) in the next episode. (laughs) There's good continuity between the episodes, but no, she'll be fine.
1: And so at the end of the episode, Steve allows Sam into the inner sanctum of their apartment where even the devil can't hear them talk. And says to him, you're special. The devil doesn't talk to anyone. He talks to you. You're special.
0: Yes. And there's going to come back to that in the final episode of the season. Again, that's the big game changer for the whole show. Very interesting stuff that we are leading up to.
1: In this episode, we have a lot of music. Also featured is Pretty Pictures by Little Barbie. Mouthful of Lovin' by MDM. What You Gonna Do by Mobonix, High Flying Bird by The Bent Scepters, Waste My Life by Love Arcade, and Fat Versus Slim by Stephen M. Sechi. A lot of music.
0: That's all the notes I have for this episode. The episode was directed by James Head, which we've talked about previously. Uh, He's worked on Arl Stein's The Haunting Hour, Spooksville, Kyle XY show I think would be really cool. But this is the last episode he did. He also did Love, Bullets, and Blacktop, Ashes to Ashes, and Hungry for Fame. Uh, And The Dead Zone, 20 episodes of The Dead Zone, so a long time running uh, television director. Uh, somebody i've also reached out to to try and have on the show we don't necessarily have to have the guest tied into the episode that we're on for unless it's a guest obviously of the episode self but uh, overall in general if a line to anyone from the show would be fantastic to have on i reached a couple contacts and I don't know of anyone who worked on reaper that they're aware of
1: hopefully we'll find someone Hopefully don't forget. You can find us
0: on Facebook, the dead TV podcast and our individual Twitters at Christy Sav and at elegantly kinky. And you can send us an email like people have that radio heart at com. We are on audible. We are on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google play. Leave ratings on audible too. If you listen to us on audible, it's very unusual to listen to podcasts on audible, but it, uh, it's becoming more and more normal. There's a couple of podcasts I listen to. Not a lot of ratings for podcasts that are very popular on audible so audible is still very new to the general public um and listening to things there's an indiana jones podcast i absolutely love i want to give a shout out to they break down everything to do with indiana jones like not just like reviewing the four movies but also the stuff within the films the historical stuff within the films that is actually part of history but also comic books video games and the tv show tie-in too it's a lot of fun to listen to because i'm such an indiana jones fan But uh, we might have some guests coming on possibly for possibly either Reaper or uh, Alien Nation that have nothing to do with the show, but just cross promote with their own thing. And I'm working on those right now. So uh, more details about that to come. And if you are a reviewer, television reviewer, critic, and you liked Reaper, come on the show. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody from the show. It's nice because it's inside stories, but it'd be nice if you do have a platform you want to cross-promote with us. We are more than happy to do that. It's been a little while since we've done that, but I'm definitely open to it. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another couple exciting episodes. Episodes 14 and 15 of CW's Reaper.
1: Good night.